Lord Jesus, only your word can make us whole, so we pray that you would help us understand it today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hello to those of you in the narthex. Good to have you with us. When I was in seminary, I worked as a chaplain in a hospital, and there was a woman there, I'll call her Mrs. Smith, she would lie on her bed all day long with a wet towel over her eyes, and she would moan over and over again, I'm dying, I'm dying. Reality was there was nothing wrong with her. She had a few minor medical problems, but, but that was it. So I'd say, oh, Mrs. Smith, you know, I've talked to the doctors, and they say, you're fine, you're not dying. And she would say, doctors, what do they know? I know living and I know dying. I tell you I'm dying. And her husband would just sit in the room all, all day long and he'd say over and over again, look at her, just look at her. What am I supposed to do with her? And I think, how should I know? You married her, right? <laughs> it was a cheery little room. The problem with Mrs. Smith wasn't that she was dying, it's that she forgot she was living. The hospital had become a safe and comfortable place for her and it was what she was used to. And she'd come to believe that life held nothing more for her than that hospital room. And that the few minor medical problems that she had were going to have the last word in her life. In the story that we read today, Jesus asks this paralyzed man a question that I wish I'd asked Mrs. Smith. Do you want to get well? And it's kind of a surprising question. I mean, this man has been lying by this pool for 38 years, hoping to get into the water because they thought that the water had healing powers. And after 38 years, you'd think that the answer to Jesus' question would be, well, of course I want to get well. Jesus, what do you think? But that's not what he says. In fact, he doesn't answer it at all. Instead, he complains and gives excuses. He says, well, you see, Jesus, I I can't get down to the water because there's always someone in my way. So you see, Jesus, it's really a hopeless case. Now, you would think that after 38 years, he would have made it to the water by now, right? I mean, the sheer process of erosion alone should have done it. (laughs) But he hasn't gotten there, maybe because he doesn't want to get there. Because he's not just physically paralyzed, he's spiritually and emotionally paralyzed as well. Life has beat him up. And he's decided that life holds no possibility of renewal or of hope or of anything. And he's not expecting anything more than another 38 years by that pool. Now, I don't want to be too hard on this guy because I am this guy. I get stuck. I think all of us get stuck at some point in our lives. We get paralyzed in our careers or intellectually or socially. We get paralyzed in our relationships with friends or family. They end up being kind of dysfunctional. We can't get out of it. We get paralyzed in our faith and it becomes kind of routine and boring. And we know that there's something wrong, but we just don't really believe that it can ever get any better. And if we're honest, at least if I'm honest with myself, sometimes I don't want it to get any better. Because that might involve risk and something uncomfortable. Jesus asked me, do you want to have better relationships with the people you work with or with your neighbors? And my response is, well, maybe, but does that mean I can't be right all the time? Because then maybe not so much, Jesus. Jesus asked, do you want to escape boredom? Well, but does that mean I have to step out of my comfort zone? Because come to think of it, I'm not so bored after all. Or he says, do you want to break the power of those habitual sins? And I think, well, maybe, but does that mean that I can't do them once in a while? Like maybe on my birthday or something, right? Sometimes we don't want to get well. Because getting well involves risk, discomfort, all kinds of stuff. 
And this is a truth that is profoundly illustrated by the great 20th century theologians, Monty Python. <laughs> These guys like that a lot. So it's their favorite part of the sermon. One of their movies is called Life of Ryan, and, and it, that movie has some things that I don't like about it, but there's some, also some pretty good theology in it. And, it. and it's set in biblical times, and there's one scene where a man comes up to the main character, Brian, and he says, alms for an ex-leper. And Brian says, ex-leper? The man says, yeah, there I was hopping along, minding my own business. All of a sudden, along comes Jesus and cures me. One minute, I'm a leper with a trade. Next minute, my livelihood is gone. Right? Not so much as a buy your leave. You're ill, mate. Darn do-gooder. So Brian gives him half a denarii, and the ex-leper says, half a denarii for me life story. That's not much. And Brian says, man, there's no pleasing some people. And then the ex-leper says, funny, that's what Jesus said. This theological moment brought to you by Monty Python. <laughs> For the man in this story that we read today, healing is a risk. Getting well is a risk. For starters, he'll need a new career. Can't beg anymore. And it means leaving behind what he's used to. Getting well is a risk. And so like Hamlet, sometimes we would rather keep those ills we have and fly to others that we know not of. But Jesus offers us so much more than that. Instead of boredom, Jesus offers adventure. Instead of broken relationships, Jesus offers relationships that are whole and life-giving. Instead of bondage to habitual sin, Jesus offers power to become the people he created us to be. And the question is, do we want it? Do we want to get well? And there are a couple of things in this story that Jesus does to kind of move us along when we get stuck. And the first is this. Jesus loves us so much that he calls us away from the pool and the false hope that it offers. The reason this man has been lying by this pool is because it was a hot spring. And they believed that whenever the water started to bubble, first person into the water would be healed. Sort of a hot tub therapy kind of thing. But that's superstition. It's a false hope. And false hope never helps anybody. I know a woman who spent 20 years seeing a psychotherapist, and therapy is a wonderful tool for healing, and I recommend it. But for this woman, it had become a kind of a false hope. Her father had left the family when she was young, and she had a lot of anger over that. Interestingly enough, not at her father, but at her mother, who she felt drove him away. Well, after 20 years of therapy, her mother had a heart attack. So this woman went to spend a couple of weeks with her mother to help her recuperate. Three days into the visit, she got in this giant fight with her mother that ended with her yelling at her, you are the meanest mom ever. Okay, this woman is in her 50s. Right? And this is after 20 years of therapy. Time to fire the therapist, right? Get a new one. It ain't working, right? Get another therapist that can help you get out of the sick tent. 20 years lying on the psychiatrist's couch and nothing to change. Because the reality was she didn't want anything to change. She just wanted to have someone to listen to her anger week in and week out. And there are a lot of pools that we lie beside that are false hopes. Some people turn to pornography to help with the pain of loneliness or with anxiety. For others, turn to shopping to relieve boredom or alcohol or money or entertainment. Even church work. If it isn't about getting closer to Jesus, spreading his kingdom, even church work. If it's just busy work, can be a false hope. And it's really hard to leave those false hopes, those pools behind, because they seem to offer so much. You know, every dysfunction has a function. 
That's why we do it. We wouldn't do it otherwise. person who grew up in an abusive home, as a child, they may have emotionally withdrawn to protect themselves. It was functional then, but now it's a dysfunction as an adult. The person who drinks too much is drowning their pain in alcohol. It, it has a function, but it's a dysfunction. Every dysfunction has a function which makes it difficult to leave behind. But all of those false pools are like drinking salt water. They just make us thirstier. So what pool have you been lying beside lately? Jesus loves us so much that he says, come away from the pool and I'll give you life. Second way Jesus makes us whole is he pursues us until we're completely whole. In this story, the healing doesn't happen all at once. It happens in stages. Jesus does the easy part first, fixes the physical paralysis, but then he goes and finds this man again so he can fix the spiritual and the emotional paralysis as well. Healing happens only in a continuous daily relationship with Jesus, not all at once. Now, I don't know about you, but I find this kind of frustrating. You know, I, I want God to use the zap method with me. Right? Zap, you're healed, mate. Right? That's what I want. But I've learned that for me, healing means that when I'm tempted or struggling or dealing with brokenness, healing means I have to turn to Jesus daily, hourly, every minute for strength to become whole. And as I do that, then over time, I gradually become more like Jesus. And really, it's better that way. Because you know what? If God were to zap me tomorrow, take away all of my problems, heal me up, and just zap me, I had no more problems anymore, I would be so grateful to Him for a week. <laughs> Maybe even ten whole days. And then, not needing Him, I would never think of Him again. And that's not wholeness. In fact, that's the problem the man in the story faces. When they ask him, he doesn't even know Jesus' name. Right? He doesn't even know his healer's name. And that's his real problem. And so Jesus pursues him and says literally in the Greek, stop continuing to sin or else something worse might happen. Now, by that, Jesus does not mean that paralysis was a punishment for sin. We know that because four chapters later in, the cha in John chapter 9, Jesus emphatically denies that sickness is punishment for sin. What Jesus does mean, though, is that there are worse things than being paralyzed. Chief among them is not knowing your healer, Jesus. So Jesus pursues this man and initiates a daily, ongoing relationship with him. And when he does, this man comes alive again. He starts taking risks. He goes to tell other people about Jesus. He has community around him and he has a sense of joy. Jesus pursues us and initiates an ongoing, daily relationship with him. And that's how we get whole. And finally, the third thing that Jesus does to heal us. Jesus empowers us to take life-giving risks. Jesus says to this man, take up your mat and walk. That's a risk after 38 years. Right? It might not work. He might fall flat on his face. But this man is never going to know whether or not Jesus can heal him unless he takes the risk and does it. And so he obeys Jesus. Because, you see, Jesus cannot be our Savior unless he is our Lord. Jesus cannot be our Savior unless He is our Lord. And that means that we need to do what He says to do. Not to earn His love or approval. We already have that. But so that we can become whole. It means we have to leave behind those pools and the false hopes they offer. We need to get to know Him through prayer and scripture and worship. And we have to obey His commands about money, sex, forgiveness, and all kinds of things like that. Not to earn His approval, but for our own good. So that we can grow and be whole. We have to do what He says to do. And then there's one other thing that we have to do, that he commands us to do. 
and that is to serve others in his name. You know, one of the ways that this man gets well is at the end of the story, he goes out and he starts serving people by helping connect them to Jesus. Serving is one of the most important ways that we become whole because it gets us out of ourselves, out of our problems, and on, focused on someone else. And we get the joy of knowing that we're a part of making a difference in someone's life. And you heard some of that today in Kathleen's testimony. I heard, this story this week, I heard a story this week about a man who was experiencing a lot of tension in his family. He and his wife had two teenage sons and everyone in the family was busy and, and there had been a lot of bickering and fighting in the family. Well, they heard the pastor say that serving gives you joy. So they signed up as a family to visit patients in a nursing home with others from their church uh, one Saturday when people were going to go do that. Well, on the Friday night before they were supposed to go visit, things were not going well in their house. This man was tired from a week of work. He and his wife were having second thoughts about giving up the only day they got to sleep in on. And their 12-year-old son absolutely did not want to do it. He said, no one asked me about going and visiting a bunch of old people. I don't want to do that. I want to stay home and watch cartoons. This man said his response would not have earned him Father of the Year award. He said to his son, oh yeah? Well, you're a spoiled kid from the suburbs and it's time you experience the joy of serving. <laughs> Shockingly, that did not motivate his son. The evening ended with his son going to bed in tears. Well, the next day they went to the nursing home and at first his sons hated it and were complaining about it. But then they met a woman who was 94 years old, sharp as a tack, and she talked about her adventures of coming to America from China in the 20s and living and growing up in San Francisco and all kinds of stuff. And, and she was visibly moved, choked up, by the fact that this family would come and visit with her. Well, when they got back from the visit, the, the 12-year-old son asked if they could go visit that woman again that afternoon. He wanted to go that afternoon again. Next day in church, when it came time to write down prayer requests on a card, both of their sons wrote down this woman's name. They spent the rest of the week praying for her, and they went back to visit her again and again. And for a while, they had this sort of peace around this service thing that they'd done. They took a risk to obey Jesus, and it was hard. They had to give up a Saturday. But it got them out of themselves, out of their own problems, and it stopped their bickering, at least for a week. And they discovered that the pastor was right, as pastors always are. <laughs> Serving gives us joy. Maybe that's teaching Sunday school or tutoring at Kid Reach. Maybe it's signing up for the August 18th workday so that you can show Jesus to others, get to know some people in the church, maybe some other churches as well, and have fun doing it. Jesus loves us so much that he makes us whole by calling us away from the pool and the false hope it offers. He pursues us and heals us in a daily relationship with Him, and He empowers us to take life-giving risks. Pastor John Orberg tells a story about a woman named Pam who needed some healing in her life. She, she led a pretty wild life. She was a big partier. She'd had five marriages. And Pam wasn't much interested in Jesus at all, in part because one of her parents was Jewish and one of her parents was Catholic when she was growing up. When she was a kid, her dad would take her to the synagogue and then when she came home, her mother would send her upstairs to say her rosary and ask forgiveness for going to the synagogue. That'll mess you up theologically, let me just tell you, right? So by the time she was a teenager, she'd already burned through one marriage and could outdrink anybody she knew. And her life wasn't working well at all. Her relationships were painful and messy. She 
She was lonely and she had no sense of fulfillment, no sense of joy. Well, eventually she ended up joining Alcoholics Anonymous. One of the things you do in AA is you have to turn your life over to a higher power. She did that, but she said, I'm going to call my higher power Ralph. That way I can control him. Well, she did that for a while until one one day a guy came in off the street. He'd obviously been drinking. He smelled of alcohol. And when when it was his turn to speak, he said, I'm an alcoholic. And my name is Ralph. (laughs) That kind of weirded her out. She thought, is that my God? And I said, no, that's not my God. That launched a long search for her of trying to figure out who God was. Eventually, she met a few Christians who talked to her about Jesus. Then she got invited to a church, and she met a group of people there who who loved her unconditionally, who loved her enough to listen to all of her junk. She could be completely honest with who she was and what she'd done, and they loved her, they prayed for her, and they held her accountable to growing out of it. She began to do things that Jesus says to do, like forgive others, particularly your parents, and serve and give your life away. Over time, she stopped drinking. And eventually, she found a great guy who she could have fun with and who loved her, warts and all. And they've been married now for years in a joy-filled, healthy, happy marriage. She had a lot of false pools that she was lying beside. Sex, alcohol, unhealthy relationships. But Jesus called her away from those. And he pursued her and started an ongoing daily relationship with her to make her whole. And he called her to take risks, like go to Alcoholics Anonymous or tell her junk to other people or to forgive or serve or give. And out of all of that, Jesus turned her loneliness into love, her boredom into adventure, and her bondage and addiction into freedom and life. So, what are the pools that you've been lying beside lately? And are you ready to leave them behind? If you know Jesus, for those of us who do, what that means is we've got to obey Him. We've got to do what He says to do. He cannot be our Savior unless we make Him our Lord. It means we have to do what He asks us to do. And if you don't know Jesus, all you have to do is simply pray, Lord Jesus, come into my life and be my leader and my forgiver. And if you want to do that, there will be people waiting at the prayer room for you after the service to, to help you take that step. You see, the good news is we are not alone. Jesus is waiting for you at that pool, not just here at church where we're all gussied up, got our Jesus faces on, but at that pool, that place of false hope, that place of disappointment, that same useless pool that you've been going to year after year, that I've been going to year after year. Jesus wants to meet us even there. Actually, he wants to meet us especially there so that he can give us life. And not just little bits of life, not measured out in drips and drabs, but life pressed down, heaped up and overflowing the measure more than enough with plenty left over. This morning, Jesus is asking, do you want to get well? And because he loves us so much, he will not stop asking that question until you and I rise, take up our mat, and walk into the bold new future that he wants to give us. So let me leave you with this question. Do you want to get well? Lord Jesus, help us to answer that yes. And then do what you ask us to do so that we can become the people that you created us to be. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.